1: Glory to God,
0: hallelujah.
1: Hello everyone everywhere, this is Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith, amen. We are so blessed to have you join us today, amen. I started a series last time, or started a teaching last time, I'm believing in that which you cannot see, and we're going to continue that, because we didn't finish the uh, Everything that the Lord had put on my heart and sharing with you But before we get into that, let's have our word of prayer and then we'll lay our foundation of faith and Then jump right back into about the area we left off. I'll back up just a little bit just to recap in case some people uh, Didn't hear last week or those that did and kind of forgot about what we were talking about Uh, I'll Recap just a little bit but first Let's go before the father Father We thank you That this day and every day we have access to your throne Your throne of grace and of mercy That we can come before you thanking you and praising you for the victory We are walking in each and every day victory over sin Victory over debt. Victory over the curse that Jesus delivered us from. The victory belongs to us. The battle is the Lord's, but the victory is ours. And we receive that right now in the name of Jesus. We make a declaration of faith that we are going to walk by sight. I'm sorry walk by faith not by sight. We are going to walk by faith not by sight Not by feelings Not by what we hear, but what we hear from your word Your word is first place in our life the only thing in our life And we just thank you for it father have your way during this broadcast And may you receive honor, glory, and praise for all that is said and done. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Let's lay the solid foundation upon which we are going to build. It's commonly referred to as the Apostles' Creed. I call it my declaration of faith. Amen. And get your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And that's where we're going to start. But right now, while you're doing that, just say these words out loud. Let your own ears hear your voice say them. Repeat these words after me I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead and ascended up into heaven and sits now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty from where he shall return soon to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe the church is the body of Christ. I believe in the communion with saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body. And I believe in life everlasting. In Jesus' name amen and amen hallelujah turn to hebrews chapter 11 we're gonna read this verse right here this is where we left off with last time we you know naturally were led to other scriptures but this was the verse that got us going praise god hebrews 11 verse 1 now faith is the substance of things that are hoped for, and the evidence of things that we cannot see. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are not seen were made by things Let's rephrase that again. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And now we get into what is called the Hall of Fame of Faith. And by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. By faith, Noah was being warned by god of a thing not seen yet rain rain had not been seen moved with fear prepared an ark for the saving of his house by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness of faith that's where we left off last time and i want to go back and let's talk a little bit about Noah now amen you know faith is the very first phase of Hebrews 11 1 it actualizes a future truth now if you have a truth that means there cannot be a lie amen the second part of Hebrews 11 1 Commits your life to it to wait for it. It is the conviction of believing things that you cannot see are going to happen and they are Catch that phrase they are Whatever it is you've been praying to God about He says if you believe uh, Mark 11 24 25 if you believe that you receive the things you are asking for as you pray, you shall receive them, the scripture says. That word receive in the Greek is really possess them. You have them. You possess them. If you believe that you receive the things you ask for as you pray, then you shall possess them. Think about that. What have you been asking God for? What have you been asking God for? Believe you received it as you prayed, and you shall possess it. Not you might have it in the, you know, coming heaven and the sweet by and by. No, you're going to possess it right now in the here and now in the dirty, rotten right now. You're going to have it right now. Noah believed God. God said, Noah. I'm sick and tired of seeing this world living in sin. And I'm going to make it rain. Now, we covered last time, that word rain was completely foreign to Noah. He had no idea what it meant. None at all. God could have said, I'm going to make bleep come down, and it's going to wipe everyone out. And you know, no, I have no idea what you're talking about, God. But okay, it would make a bit of sense to Noah because it didn't have any meaning to that word, rain. Noah, it's gonna rain. Okay. Uh, can I ask you a question, God? What's rain? It's water dropping down from the sky. Now. Noah was like, water doesn't fall from the sky. Because at that time, it never had happened. Rain never had fallen from the sky before. The Bible says that all the plants were watered by a mist that came up out of the ground. But Noah believed God. I mean, if... This God spoke to me. And remember, the Bible says Noah was the only righteous one left in the earth. And if you study the meaning behind that verse, fallen angels had come down and lusted after the human women and had sex with them and started... Creating this mixed blood, which created the Anakim, the giants that were in the land, right? And they had populated the earth, and man had become so corrupt, and their blood had become so mingled, God said, you know, I got to wipe everyone out. There's no one left. And then he found Noah. Noah and his family, which means his forefathers, had kept themselves pure. None of them had had sex with an angel all the way back to Adam. And Noah had kept his family pure. And God, looking at the entire earth, said Noah was the only righteous one left. Noah had the only bloodline that was still pure back to Adam. So God the Father appeared to Noah and said, Noah, it's going to rain. Uh, what's rain? Well, it's water that's going to fall from heaven. And I'm going to create such a flood with it, it's going to kill everyone and everything on the planet. And Noah, you know, it's hard for me to comprehend, God. And God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build a boat. Here's the dimensions. This is how you're going to do it. And because of you, I'm going to go ahead and save some of the animals so that the earth can repopulate itself after this flood is over. Now Noah had a decision to make. This had never happened in earth's history before. Not in the history of mankind up to that point. So Noah, out in the middle of the desert, or it could have been at the edge of the desert, but he definitely wasn't doing this on the lake shore. Amen. Started building a boat. Some scriptures say it take it took 120 years to build that boat. All right. That's conviction. Because you see it was one thing to dream about what rain might be like, but it was something else to establish his life on that thing that had never been seen yet. For the better part of a 100 years, 120 years, he built this boat piece by piece out in the desert. Everybody around him was talking about this nut Building a boat out in the middle of the desert, not down here by the lake shore. There's this guy's building this huge boat. How's he gonna get it down here? The guy's a nut. They thought he went bananas. And then he says it's okay, it'll float, because water's gonna fall from heaven and lift up the boat. And kill everyone else that's not on the boat. They thought he was a lunatic. You see, it's one thing one thing to visualize reality and to give it present substance. It's something else entirely for a hundred and twenty years to put action to your belief. By building a boat in the middle of the desert with no water in sight. Faith has to begin with you believing it and then banking your very life on it. That's faith. Nobody had been, well, let me rephrase that. I was going to say nobody had been raised from the dead, but Elijah had raised a boy from the dead. Or Elisha. Both of them had. But they were raised back in corruptible bodies. Jesus had to believe that he was going to hell, paying the price for sin for all of mankind, all of history, and that God the Father would raise him up. Jesus banked his life on it. Well, Brother Bob, he was Jesus. I mean, he was God, yeah. But he didn't have any of his divine attributes. Scripture says he laid it all aside and became a man. And how did he become a man? He just didn't appear one day. He was born as a baby. In a human body with absolutely no divine powers. I mean, he pooped his pants, had to have his diaper changed, had to learn how to walk. Just as any human boy did. And there came a time in his life when he realized what his purpose was. He seen himself in the scriptures from what his parents had taught him, what his teachers had taught him. And we covered all of this uh, in another teaching about the Messiah, the, the rabbi, rabbinical teachings of Jesus. And I'm writing a book on that right now. But the point I'm trying to get is faith is committing your entire life to what you believe. Pastors have been called out of whatever employment they had to go full-time into the ministry because of what they believe. Christians dying in the Middle East, having their heads cut off, being tortured, seeing their families killed in front of them, Hold fast to what they believe. We have so many couch potato Christians in the United States who say, you know, they go to church every once in a while or maybe even every Sunday and they sing their praises and they wave their arms and they're shouting hallelujah and they sit down and drink their little lattes while this mean nothing, meaningless sermon, feel good sermon is preached, and everybody leaves then and hugging one another with the little Christian hugs and saying their God bless you and then they go about their own business. They go home, turn the football game on, grab a six pack of beer, sit down and then forget all about the sermon that they had heard that day. Because it was meaningless to him. There's no faith in that. None whatsoever. Well, Brother Bob, are you condemning us? Yes. Yes, I am. Because you're not living the faith you say you proclaim. But I'm going to leave that there. I'll just let it hang there as an unanswered question because we're going to get back to it. Faith, true faith, you should be living, not on your sleeve, but on your chest. It should be your breastplate everywhere you go, the breastplate of righteousness. It's Jesus's breastplate everyone's seen. Your shield of faith is what catches all of the fiery darts the devil's firing at you. But if you leave church and go and grab your six-pack or mix your drinks and start cussing up a storm because somebody fumbled the football, and you're not living your faith. Praise God! I enjoy a football game every now and then, but you don't. You'll never catch me with a beer in my hand or cussing or anything like that. Why? Because I love Jesus too much to do that. But Noah, he had no idea what God was talking about. But God gave him the exact dimensions of a boat. And Noah said, okay, I'll build it. And every person that came up to him said, Noah, what are you doing? I'm building a boat. Why? Why? Because God said it's going to rain. What's rain? Rain is when water falls out of the sky. You're a nut. Water has never fallen out of the sky. What makes you think it's going to start falling now? Because God said it was. Now there were many gods that they believed in. They're like, which god? And Jehovah, Yahweh. Your god's a nut. And they'd walk away and continue doing what they were doing. And Noah would turn around, keep hammering on the boat. Sawing that wood, having his boys help hold it in place. Putting pitch on it to seal it up. He continued to build that boat. Now. Noah. 120 years Believed on things he had never seen and then took action on it And that's what I want you to see throughout this 11th chapter of Hebrews Each one of the people's that are represented here Believed and then acted According to their belief they moved out on it Now we believe a lot of things and I trust that we believe God to the point where we can bank our life on God's word. But you know, to the unbelieving world, to be able to bank your life on the invisible spiritual future that looks like the most preposterous thing imaginable. And people are always saying, Oh, you Christians, pie in the sky in the sweet by and by, and all that stuff, right? You guys are out there believing all that stuff, and you have absolutely no proof of it. That's right. And we go around saying, this world is not my home, praise God. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up beyond the sky. And they say, you, you don't even have your feet on the ground. What kind of weirdo are you? What a way to live. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 2, chapter 6, he has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And he said in chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us With all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. Praise God. We're just moving around in another domain. You see, by faith. And the world thinks that something's wrong with us. We worship him who's invisible. And we bake our life on it. That's faith. That's faith. But you see, watch this now. That's faith with spiritual content, or that's faith placed in an unseen thing that really has no visible verification with it. Now, the natural man cannot comprehend what we're talking about because it's spiritual faith. We see him who's invisible, but the unsaved man can't. Because he has no concept of that perception. There is a sense in which all men, as I've told you many times, live by a natural kind of faith. For example, they drink water coming out of the pipe in their house without knowing anything about it. And see, that's faith. That's a type of faith, isn't it? Sure it is. You see, there's no way to know what is in that pipe? You say, oh, I don't know about that. About that, I mean, I have this handy-dandy chemistry temp, uh, kit, and I test every glass of water before I drink it. No, you don't. But even if you did, that's okay, because you've put your faith in the handy-dandy chemistry kit. You see, everybody lives... On some concept of natural faith you eat food that comes in cans that has labels that you believe in Because you don't know what's really in that can until you open it Oh, there's a label with a picture on it and a name and shows what's supposed to be in it But do you believe the label? if you put your faith in the label something somebody else said then you are operating in faith of what they said, even though you can't see it. But you purchase it with your money and take it home. And still, you don't know what's really in that can until you open it. And when you open it and dump it out into a pan, now you see What was by faith, but has now become visible. Amen? Money. Let's look at money for a a couple of minutes. Money is totally a by-faith principle. Do you know that all the paper in your wallet isn't worth anything near what it's supposed to be? In 1929, the people who survived the economic crash known as the Great Depression knew that it wasn't the loss of cash that brought the Depression. It was the loss of faith in that cash. People stopped believing in what that money was worth because it was only a faith commodity. A scientist goes into a laboratory and exercises natural faith. It says on a little thing that he can mix this with this and it won't blow up. So he does it by faith. You go to the doctor and the doctor says, you got a problem. We got to slice you open a foot across and take out whatever and fix this and bend this and put this around that and then sew you back up. And you say, okay. You don't even know what he's talking about. You go in there and somebody says, we'll see you in a few hours. And they stick that needle in your arm and boop, you're gone. You're out. There's a whole bunch of people in that room opening you up and playing around with things on the inside of you doing this and that. and You have no control over what they're going to do. But you're lying on that table oblivious to it all with your faith in that doctor to fix whatever's going on inside of you and that your faith in him will heal you. You see, everybody operates on a principle of natural faith. We drive places And we believe the signs going down the highway. You see, (laughs) that's a good example, Lord. The very first time I went on a cross-country trip, I had a wife and daughter in the car or in the army, came back home, bought a car, and now I had to drive Halfway across the country to my first base, Fort Riley, Kansas. I had never been there. Didn't really know how to get there. So I bought a map. And I mapped the route out with a highlighter. I had put my faith in that map. And as I was driving down the road... I was verifying my faith in that map with the road signs. Now, they could have twisted them signs around and I could have ended up in Key West, Florida instead of Fort Riley, Kansas. But I had faith in that map and I had faith in those road signs. And that's natural faith. Amen? You see, even though men have natural faith, they don't have the ability to perceive God. Because that's spiritual faith. That's a supernatural gift from God, that kind of faith. By grace, you are saved, how? Through faith. And faith, not of yourself, but it's a gift of what? Of God. Spiritual faith Is a gift from God natural faith comes just from being born in fact spiritual faith according to Romans 10 17 faith comes by hearing hearing a speech about Jesus Christ that's a gift from God if a man hears this with a willing heart prepared by the Holy Spirit God grants him The faith to respond. That's also a gift from God. Amen. In 1 Corinthians, verse 21, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom did not know God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them, what, that believe. It's the preaching of the cross that brings faith. And when it reaches a fertile soil in the heart of a man, and so faith in a natural sense, in one thing, faith in a spiritual sense is something else. Once a man has prepared his heart to receive that seed of, of faith, instantly there's fruit. When he gives his heart to Jesus, opening it up as fertile soil, and they have received that word of faith, a seed, planted into the ground will reproduce after itself. Jesus died on the cross for all of mankind's sins taking upon himself the penalty of death. They planted him into the ground. The root went down to hell. But God produced new fruit because the penalty had been paid. The curse had been broken. And God raised Jesus up from the dead, the firstborn from the dead, from the dead of hell itself. The first born of the dead. That means there's a second born, a third born, a three millionth born, a three billionth born. We're, our number's in there somewhere, praise God. Because we put our faith in that. And faith planted produces the same fruit. So when you give, and that's what that means, when you give your heart to Jesus the word of faith is then planted into your heart. And instantly, not over the process of time, this is instantaneous fruit in the image of Christ who's in the image of God. You are reborn into that same spirit. Jesus received his resurrected body, and walked around this earth showing himself to his disciples and over 500 people and 5,000 people and then in visible sight ascended up into heaven. We have not yet received our resurrected bodies, our glorified bodies but we have Jesus in our heart if you're a believer. And the same spirit that was in him is in us. We are no longer natural human beings. We are a new class of human beings walking this earth just as Jesus was. You see, In the Bible, there were two classes of people, Jews and Gentiles. Now there's three, Jews, Gentiles, and Christians. The Jews and the Christians are one together in God's eyes. But the Gentiles are still, they could be classified as unbelievers. I mean, we'll get back to that. How much time we got? All right. Praise God. So to begin with, he tells us the natural faith. It's to be able to actualize something in the future and bank your life on it. The unbelieving man has, in this physical sense, no capacity for the spiritual sense. We who know Jesus Christ do. Then he moves secondly to the testimony of faith. Hurrying on because we're covering so much about faith in this chapter, I'm going to skip some thoughts. The testimony of faith, verse 2 For by it, and that word takes us back to the word of faith. By it, by faith, the elders. Received witness. Now the elders there refers to the Old Testament saints, the fathers of Israel, the greats that he names in Hebrews chapter 11. The world to receive witness had to do with receiving praise or approval. They were praised or they were approved what it means is they lived by faith therefore god approved them god approves those who live by faith and i think there's a sense in which every man who lives in the spiritual faith in god has within his own heart the knowledge that he's approved of god don't you have that if you're a christian listening to me to me today Do you have that knowledge in your being that God has approved you of being saved through Jesus Christ? There's a certain kind of peace, a certain kind of uh, uh, having arrived at a reality when you've trusted God like that. I think we sense his approval. And he goes all through the chapter. Abel believed God regarding sacrifice did it by faith God approved his sacrifice didn't he? Enoch believed God that he wouldn't die and he didn't God was pleased and approved Noah believed God that it would rain and he inherited righteousness for his belief in God for God approved Abraham and Sarah believed God for a child and got approved of their faith, and they received Isaac. And then uh, Isaac had Jacob and Joseph, Amram, Jochebed. Moses' mother had Moses. There was Joshua. Rahab, a harlot, had faith and is in the lineage of Christ. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, All those listed in chapter 11, all of them believed God, and God said, that's good, I approve. They trusted in what they could not see. Watch it. They bet their life on it. And God said, that's good, I approve. The Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to do what? To please him. Without faith, you can't please God. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were told, bow or get thrown into the fire. And they didn't even hesitate. Said, oh, king, we're not even going to hesitate our answer. Because we believe God, and he is the only one we will bow to. So you can throw us in the fire if you want. If God delivers us from the fire, so be it. But if he doesn't, know this, we're not bowing. And Nebuchadnezzar is so mad, he had them heat the fire even more, giving them one more chance. They refused. The people who bound them and took them to the fiery furnace and threw them in died because it was so hot. And they landed down the bottom and started walking around. And there was a fourth man in there with them. And Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, wait a minute. How many do we throw in there? And they said, three. And he said, I see four. And that one looks like a son of God. And then he called them out of the fire. And they came out. And their clothes didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. And he became a believer in their God at that point in time. Faith. They had faith that as long as they didn't bow, they were good to go. And even if they died, they would go with praise on their lips. There are Christians dying in the Middle East who refuse to recant Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Their families are butchered in front of their eyes, and their heart is breaking and crying out, but yet they refuse to do what their captors say, and it cost them ultimately their lives. There are thousands of Christians that die in the Middle East, tens of thousands every year. Some reports say 100,000, but they refuse to give up faith in Jesus. I'm wondering if ISIS came to the United States and Sharia law came to the United States, which it's already here in certain localities. It's already here. How many Christians would have that same kind of faith? How many American Christians would have that kind of faith that they would refuse to compromise I'll tell you right now, not very many. Why do you say that, Brother Bob? Because look at the failure of Christians to stand up to immorality so far. They gave up the fight to keep prayer in school, they gave up the fight against protecting life in the womb, they gave up the fight against immorality in this land, they gave up the fight against homosexuality, an abomination to God in this land. Christians have just rolled over and played dead for the last 50, 60 years. They have given up the fight to stand against immoral laws. They've given up the fight from the lowest to the highest offices in the land. So what makes you think the Christians in America and the Christian church in America would refuse to bow if told to do so? What makes you think with a knife to their throat that they wouldn't say whatever they needed to say to have their life spared and their family spared? That's the spirit of Antichrist. You see, faith in what we cannot see is faith that God will deliver us, even if it cost us our life on this earth. You need to hold your faith that in 30 seconds it'll be all over with and I'll be with Jesus. Instead of thinking about The pain that you're going to go through. Instead of thinking about, oh, I'm going to die. What comes next? You should have already had that planned out. What comes next is in the presence of Jesus. That's what comes next. Now, if you don't have that firmly grounded in your heart, what comes next is not going to be Jesus. For you. It's as simple as that. I mean, I don't care what you do without faith, you cannot please God. But if you have faith, he's He's pleased. He approves. The man who tries to live in this world and in the world system without faith lives the kind of bleak, black, hopeless existence that runs them into a wall of destiny that does not have any answers. Can you imagine not believing in anything? Can you imagine trying to blind yourself so you never thought about what happens after you die? Imagine that. Can you imagine living in a world that's so black You have absolutely no hope in anything. You just realize that you're a great nothing in the midst of the universe. That is some kind of stupid thinking. has no meaning. Essentially in a world that has been rejected by God completely. If there's no God outside this little pea-sized world floating around in the midst of an infinite universe, if there's no God, if existence has no meaning and no point and no purpose, then we're trapped in the most stupid joke that has ever been created. You know, modern man has put himself in this dilemma this has been outlined for us today by men like you know Francis Schaeffer and other men who've been writing books on this subject the dilemma of man and it's really interesting let me give you just a little bit of insight i've read that i'm going to give you a, a little <laughs> okay a, a, a philosophy lesson for a minute if i can use try and comprehend what I'm going to say. For many years, man had what science called a unified field of knowledge. That is, man understood God, or how can I say this? God, history, science, everything within one frame of reference. It didn't need to make a difference. Everything was existing within that frame of reality. But then we had a great movement known as the German German Rationalism. And the Rationalists came along and said, hey, guys, you know what we've got to do? We've got to get rid of all this God stuff. And so the Rationalists began to attack religion. And there were men like Graft and Wellhausen, Bauer, Strauss, and... Renan, who was a French atheist, these men began to attack all the supernatural things that we believed in. And their first attack, since they were in Europe, was the Bible. They just wiped the Bible out. Some of them came up, one guy, with 26 verses that were inspired. 26 verses that had meaning. And all the rest was just gobbledygook. Everything that had any kind of tainted, any any kind of miracle was completely wiped out. So rationalism reduced man to one level of existence. And we'll call this level reason. Man existed only on that level and, and it's fading a little bit. We'll try it again. The level of reason is where he existed at. nowhere else now this was very difficult for most people to handle because this meant that man lived in a world that was purely rational and logical and that man was nothing but a machine operating in it so therefore man was only rational if it wasn't rational you couldn't believe it anything miraculous forget it this is only to be rational Empirical, what I see I believe and there's nothing outside of what I see or feel or touch You know what happened man began to scratch his head and say That's bad. I can't believe that That crucifies half of my nature My soul longs for something out there. I have to believe in something I just can't run around in a little box thinking I'm a machine and I have no ultimate meaning. And so other men came along and and split the field of knowledge. On top, he put faith. And everybody went, whew, okay, I feel better now. I have something to believe in. But know what else he put up there? He says, I can't see it, but he put up here faith with no content. It means there's nothing to believe in. You just believe anything. Just believe it. Believe in whatever you want. Just believe it. Believe in anybody you want. From Adolf Hitler to Mr. Clean, And anything in between. Doesn't matter. Just believe in believing. Get a grip on something and then hold on to it. The philosophers called it a leap of faith. They were trying to live in the world of reason, and they couldn't do it. So I said, we've got a leap. So they jumped into the world of faith and believed in anything. One of the secrets of philosophy is you never have to tell anybody what you leaped into. That's a leap of faith. It's not communicated. It's existential continentness. That's a word. Non rational, illogical. And I say, well, how can a man live in something like that? How can a man say, I only believe in what's reasonable except when I leap into what's irrational? But that is what man and society has done today. And so what happens for a long time, man lived in a rational world. Everything was in this neat little box. Everything was very real. And then men started to jump out of the box. And when they started jumping, everything went with them. The first thing to go up here in what Schaefer calls the upper story was philosophy. And all kinds of screwball philosophies came along after that. Immediately after philosophy came, art. And it used to be art was reasonable. When a guy painted a picture of a cow, it looked like a cow, for heaven's sake. When a guy painted a picture of a house, it looked like a house. When somebody painted a picture of a lady, it looked like a lady. Then all of a sudden you have Van Gogh and, you know, Picasso and all this abstract stuff. You got stuff that looks like things nobody ever saw before. And you have modern art, which is nothing but another leap of man's faith. If you go up to an artist and say, what does it mean? You just insulted the guy. Leave him alone. It's his leap. It's his art. After art went music. Music took a leap. Oh, boy, did music take a leap. All this weird stuff that's going on called music nowadays. All this stuff. And it doesn't have to have any rhyme or reason or any sense to it. It's just noise. And then you have culture. Culture leaped to maintain its existence. People began to write, you know, write things that just smash everything. They smash every morality, every code of ethics, everything. They smash love. They smash honesty. They smash whatever is right. Just let's just wipe out everything. We'll we'll debunk everything. So now we have an a, amoral, illogical, countless kind of nothing. No truth. No morality. And in its place, we just have despair. And the last thing to go was theology. Somebody bounced along and said, guess what? God died. Remember that? Back in the 70s or 80s? I think a book was written on it. Everything went. Just a leap into nothingness. You know what I call this whole thing? Absurd. You can't do that. And it's best illustrated, I think, by... uh, Remember the movie (laughs) Catch-22? It's been a long time since I've seen that. I just thought of it. I've used this illustration before. But Catch-22 is a movie about an island in the Mediterranean. And the island's name... uh, I forget right now, like Panosa or something like that. Anyway, there's a squadron of flyers who are flying missions over southern Europe. And during the war, Americans, uh, there's this one American pilot on the island. He hated it. Just absolutely despised it. He could have cared less about patriotism or anything about the war. He just wanted to save his own hide. And these missions were dangerous. And the only way you could ever get out of this deal was fly 25 missions and your job was done. And then they got this new commander in. And when a guy hit 25, he raised it to 30. And then 35 and 40 and 45 and 50 and 60 and 65. And it just kept going. There was no way out. And the only way to get out was if you were declared insane. And that was the catch. If you were insane, you could get out. But you had to turn yourself in for being insane. And only crazy people would agree to fly those missions. So if you turn yourself in for being insane to get out, you wouldn't really be insane, right? And that's the catch. There's no way out. So finally, the star comes to the end of his rope, and he does the only thing he can do. He says, I'm going to build a raft and float to Sweden. You say, You can't do that. The currents go the other way. Don't bother me with that. That's my leap. Leave me alone. You say, what's he doing? With all of the rational boxes have been closed up, he does what most consider absurd. Do you know why people take drugs today? They've run out of rational options. It's a leap to find some kind of escape from this Present reality that leads them nowhere. It's a leap into something to grab onto. Kids are taking drugs and talking about their experiences, aren't they? People are grabbing onto reincarnation and witchcraft and astrology and all kinds of screwball stuff because they've run out of rational options. They've crossed God out along with everything else. And they're just jumping all over the place into nothingness, meaningless stuff. And you see, that is what happens to man who cannot have a content-oriented, substantial faith in God. Amen. You don't need to jump into the absurd. There's a God. He's real. You can put your faith in him. You don't need to believe In Believing you can believe in God You see everything is hopeless for man everything unless there's a God He winds up jumping around like a man on a pogo step jumping around one leap to another and every one of them is empty as empty as the one before he's trapped in a horrible position and that's why people kill themselves that's why they do stupid stupid things like Building a raft and trying to float to Sweden because there's no rational answers. There's only one rational answer and his name is God. The God who made the entire universe. There have been men from the time of Adam who believed in God and their lives were meaningful Life for them had substance. Life for them had the conviction of a future reality that they based their life on. You know what? When their life ended, they were right. Stephen, the first martyr in the New Testament, Stephen banked his life on it. Remember that as he was dying beneath all those stones hitting him in the head and and crushing it He looked up the Bible says and saw the Son of God at the right hand of the throne and he said Jesus receive my spirit You know what that little glimpse vindicated? everything that man died for because we believe in him. Believing in God gives reason for living in this earth. We see the nature of faith and the testimony of faith. The people who do believe God do not get trapped in this world. They have meaning for their life. Let's look at the illustration of faith. This is good. Hebrews 11, verse 3. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Wow. Here's what he wants to do. He's saying to these Jews, to these Hebrews, you must have faith. And he's saying in, in effect, in verse 3, you already have it because you already believe in God that created the universe. And they did. And so he's saying, I'm not asking you to muster up something that you can't do. You already have that kind of faith in God that he is, that he made the world, that he made the universe. So you've got the beginning of faith already in you. Now that's a fantastic statement verse 3. Belief that the visible world and everything in it were created by God that you cannot see. Nobody knows. Nobody can say, well, I was there when it was created. I saw it. No, you can't. Nobody can say that except Jesus. You say you can't say that nobody was there the only thing we know about the creation of the universe is what we know by faith and So the writer simply says that through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the Word of God I mean all of us Jews all of us Hebrews believe in God And we all believe that the world was framed. And the only way we could ever know that is by faith because nobody ever really seen it being done. So he says, I'm not asking something of you that you don't already have. You already have that kind of faith. And all the readers believe this in the book of Hebrews. And he says, we understand or we perceive with our intelligence that the worlds were framed by God. Now you know there are some people who don't know that. Do you know there are some people who don't know God made the universe? That's right. Some people who have so-called very high cues don't believe that. The world for the ages it doesn't have to do only with creating the universe, but all the ages of administration within the universe. It means the whole creation, the whole thing was formed by the rhema word of God. The specific utterance of God. God spoke and there it was. Now Moses had to teach people this. They had the Pentecost, they had Genesis. They knew how it all began. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And Genesis said, in the beginning, God said, and there it was. It was the Word that created everything. You see, he's simply establishing here that faith is not such a foreign thing to them. By faith, they believe God created the world. And you know that the origin of this, the universe, is a problem that philosophers can't solve. Did you know that? They can't do it. Bertrand Russell spent 90 years as a philosopher. And he wrote a book, Why I Am Not a Christian. And in it, he gives some of the most inept arguments against Christianity conceivable. He blasts Christianity. He spent his life blasting it. And he had all of these answers about origins. And he summed up his life after 90 years as a philosopher with the words, Philosophy has proved a washout to me. He never did get any answers. He once boldly wrote in volume, Why I Am Not a Christian. He said, I say quite deliberately that the Christian religion has been, and still is, the principal enemy of moral progress in the world. The whole conception of God is derived from ancient oriental despotism, a conception quite unworthy of free men, and he said, we must conquer the world by intelligence. That sounds vigorous, doesn't it? After 90 years of that, he said the whole thing's been a washout. And he died not knowing anything, absolutely nothing. But when he died, I can guarantee you his eyes were opened and he understood. It's just that he understands that he made a mistake. You say, well, science knows the reason the universe came to be. Science has figured it out. Philosophers might not know, but scientists know. Scientists don't know. You say, you mean scientists don't know how the universe began? Of course they don't. Science can only observe what's going on and tell you what's going on, not why it's going on. Watch this. Science simply discovers laws that already exist. But science is stupidly trying to push past what it can do into what it can't do. And that is observe things before they existed. Science can assume that burden. You see, you might call me John, that's one thing. You might call me Bob, that's another thing. Doesn't matter what you call me, it doesn't explain my existence. Science can say, oh, that's a rock. Oh, that's a chemical. But it can't say where it came from or why it came forth. It only knows what it observes. But you know what? Science and philosophers have always locked arms. They've always said, well, we will now tell you where the universe came from. You want to hear what what they said? Here's a good lesson, a typical evolutionary look at the explanation of the beginning of the universe for over 100 years. They had this theory called the nebula theory about the creation of the universe. I'll give you a little bit about it here. The solar system was once a rapidly moving nebula, Okay, As it cooled, it contracted. And its speed of rotation gradually increased. It just kept going faster and faster and faster and faster. Eventually, enough force was available because of the speed of it. Centrifugal force was available to expel some of the material nuclei of condensation formed within the ring and is subsequently splattered all over the place, developing into planets while the dense center became the sun. That's way back when they thought the sun and our little deal was the only thing there was, just a spinning nebula. They say, where did the nebula come from? Well, you're not supposed to ask that. The man who began that theory was a man named Swedenberg who head up the cult known as the Church of the New Jerusalem. He said however this he did not claim credit. He said this was not my theory. I received it in a spiritualistic communication from the dwellers who live on the moon. Okay Then you had Darwin. Son of Charles Darwin's George Darwin. He was anxious to extend his father's concept of evolution and Make it into the whole universe So he concocted an intriguing story of how the earth and moon evolved from a large mass of hot plastic 4 billion years ago Think about that Where'd that come from? Well, he didn't say Maybe he said it, it could be self-creating matter self-creating matter that's pretty good if you can have something that self-created the stars and planets and comets and animals There's a great conflict With what's known as the Big Bang Theory? They say it began with a primeval nucleus 5 billion years ago, which exploded It was so dense it exploded well Where did it come from? Well, we don't know. You see, the problem is the puny human mind. It doesn't matter how many test tubes and Bunsen burners you have, you can't grasp the infinite. Science has no access to the why of anything. Paul said to Timothy, Beware of science, falsely so called. There's nothing wrong with good science, observable science, but science has no business trying to figure out our origins. You know, there never was any super dense glob of any self creating hydrogen mass. You know what the philosophers of science can't discover? You and I can. We can discover it by faith because we know the God that created everything that is. Science and philosophy never gives up. It takes our children in school and teaches them all of this garbage. And you know what all of evolution is based on? It's based on the astute principle nobody times nothing equals everything. Even the evolutionists are doing tailspins trying to figure out what it is they're really saying. Kirk who's an evolutionist of some great rank in the world from England, recently wrote a book, uh, about 10 years ago, I guess, writing from a viewpoint of an evolutionist in an anthology of evolution. He, he made a very important statement. He takes all of the basic tenets of evolution and says, gentlemen, we cannot prove any of them. In fact, they are probably more likely to be disproved So we better rethink our case. Amen. He said, I reject the idea of a creator God, so what other alternatives do I have? And he found none. Amen. Sir James Jean says, it's a figure equal to the number of grains of sand existing on the earth. Amen. Einstein said, you know, if the... Uh, astronomers tell us there's an average of 100 billion stars in the galaxy. At least 100 million galaxies are known in space. If Einstein is right, the total space is a billion times greater than known space. And that's a lot of stars. I, don't, I can't even give you the number because I can't understand it either. But Sir James says it's equal to the number of grains of sand existing on the Earth. That's how many stars there are. Then some little guy comes along and says, Wow, once there was a little poof, and I opened my Bibles, and God says he made it all. Through faith, we can understand that. Just the population of the world alone disproves evolution. Right now, there's about 8 billion people on the planet, and we continue to increase. Amen. So, what's happened for 500,000 years or whatever... If we continue to increase at 1% a year we're That means we've been increasing for 500,000 years and the population would be 37.5 billion and you can backtrack that to where you can track it from Adam and Eve to now So you start with population day reduce it you run out of people about 10,000 years ago Amen if you reduce it by 1% a year The whole thing I'm trying to say is the faith you need to have is not in science. The faith you need to have is in God's word. And God said, and it was. And God gave his only begotten son, Jesus. And you have to have faith in that so that whosoever believes that and receives Jesus as their savior will be saved. Pray this prayer with me as we close. Father, in Jesus' name, I take that by faith. I believe by faith you raised Jesus from the dead. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and save me right now in Jesus' name. Be blessed in all you do.
0: You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. 18 plus.